Hello, hello, hello. Steen Anderson is with me today and he's the Head of Product Management at Lassian. He was also Google Drive's Group Product Manager and he was VP of Product at Nitro, which was a smaller company but an interesting company. And that was after his startup called SenseDoc was acquired, so we're going to cover that a little bit too. Um, before that, he was also a co-founder at Fifth Finger, which actually got acquired not once, but twice, believe it or not, by both Microsoft and Merkle. And today, what we're going to do is talk about all things product management. How are you, Steen? I'm good. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. So this is a warm-up for another fireside we're going to do, so that's going to be fun. Yep. I don't know whether we want to have a fireside in Australia during summer. It's a little bit warm for that. Could be like a beach, a little beach barbecue, maybe. Yeah, I was wondering whether we should wear the sort of like the San Francisco Christmas bad jumper, or whether we should wear a wine shirt. So I'm not sure what's the right theme there. Yeah, we can make it fun. <laughs> okay, so let's kick off just um, where you're at at the moment. So, what are the qualities of a great product manager at Atlassian? I think that question's a great one. It's uh, it's probably one of those age-old uh, mysteries that everyone sort of asks. You meet a new product manager in the, in a back alleyway, and you ask them that question. <laughs> that's, that's a great um, look, we we've done a bunch of work uh, just recently, actually, at Atlassian. Just did a review the way we think about PM hiring and also the PM um, sort of promotions, uh, sort of ladder, and how we think about identifying talent and success and. And recognizing that, and what we did, we actually spoke to a number of PMs across um, the company. We got 120 now, so it's a good number there. And wow. across the senior leaders, we we got together and sort of shared. We got some senior folks from Microsoft, um, folks like myself had some variety experience startups as well as Google, and then my boss Joff is from LinkedIn. Um, and and there's a bunch of different good good um, sets of experience. And we actually looked looked at what is the sort of the common overlap um, of answers to that question. Mm. Uh, and we came up with these four key pillars of, of PM excellence or, or how, you, how you want to call it. Um, and they break into these four categories. So one is um, leads and inspires. So a, good, a great PM needs to be able to lead a team and inspire a team. That's the first thing. And there's a lot of depth behind that we can talk about if you like. Um, second thing is um, um, being a master of the PM craft. So thinking about like all the tools in your kit bag to help you understand how to think about roadmaps and prioritization, um, how, how to like you know think of creative ways to to drive a team through a particular challenging process to come out of the side, how to ship with velocity, right. all these all these techniques to just you know operate and be a great PM. Um, the third one is is um, delivering outcomes, and delivering outcomes is um, comes back a lot to things like metrics. Uh, understanding what are the key levers we have to, to play with and how, how to appropriately use those to drive business outcomes like driving mail or driving revenue um, or innovating in a way that's really differentiating, that sort of thing. Um, and the last one is is being a great communicator. And, and being a great communicator is really you know key. I think if you ever meet great PMs, you'll tend to find a common pattern that they, they really grab you with um, the way they talk about the problems they're working on and just how they think about um, the space and, and, and all things uh, in the world. And so being an awesome communicator, both written, uh, verbal and presenting um, is critical. So that's sort of how we think about what makes a great PM. And um, and it's exciting to have so some of that, you know, clarity and alignment in the organization now to sort of allow everyone to, to sort of work on those things and help grow their, grow their, start, grow their teams and hire um, with a great sort of common lens. Right. So... Number one and number four are really skills that can belong to 
a range of different jobs, not just product managers. The metrics in in three, such as driving mouths and things like that, well, that's more. That's really is an outcome. So it sounds like number two is the one that's kind of like industry specific. Is this the sort of thing that you have to find people that are already, you know, in the industry or already doing product management, or you know, can you grow these skills, or, or do you have to pick them off a tree? Yeah, look, it's it's uh, you can definitely grow all of these skills. I think, like anything in life, there's certainly people who naturally have the predisposition to either um, find it easy to learn these skills more quickly than other people, or maybe they're they're really passionate about them, so they sort of want to put the time and energy into it. So, all growable. I think the PM craft side, the mastery of the PM sort of craft, is is certainly yes, it's more domain domain specific. Um, and I think the challenge for us is. Um, as you go up the PM ladder to different more higher levels of seniority, it does become more difficult to find people who have um, the depth of experience in that area. Um, but I think as as you go up to the, the sliders on each of these four pillars, change as you go more senior in some ways, like leadership and inspiring mm, becomes yep. much more important. More as the more senior you go, but um, but it's, you know they're all invo- all important at each level. In terms of how we think about, I mean, I can talk a bit about how we think about finding and hiring and so where we, where we look at getting PMs from, if that's helpful. Yeah, go for it. Because I guess what I'm hearing is that if you've got somebody that's coming in as a line PM, then they could be theoretically a developer who wants to actually move into another thing as long as you feel as though they've got the potential to have leadership and communication skills. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, again, this, these pillars help us qualify that person and also quantify that person and do they have that that either that sort of product gene potentially and sort of passion and they can they communicate their ideas and that sort of thing and they a clear thinker. Um, but yeah, the, the, the biggest challenge for us is hiring um, hiring PMs for sure. It's challenging. Uh, I think in our business in Atlassian, because we have fairly technical products, um, we do have this natural tendency to, to, to want to hire people who, who also have an unstated but fifth leg, which is, you know, some sort of technical knowledge. Yeah, um, yeah. It's really different to some sort of consumer product where there's where there's a lot of sort of like, I don't know, I guess like touchy-feely stuff or things that are many people can kind of just uh, relate to as a user in a sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think even you go outside of high tech and the word product management can relate to things like, you know, the, the marketing programs for a serial packet. Like there's a very different broad spectrum of the title, but yep. in the, the bounds of high tech, it's certainly, it's certainly um, challenging. And so we have a few programs. We do things we do. We look at for the sort of more entry level uh, PMs, we run an APM program. So associate product management program. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat, you know, based off the, the sort of great leadership done by Google and then Facebook and LinkedIn and now a number of other, other sort of um, leading tech companies in the U S globally, um, with this sort of program, so we—that's basically a acceleration program for first-time PMs coming out of university. Yep, it's a two-year program. They do two one-year rotations through different teams of the company in the company, and, and that's designed to give them a breadth of experience and exposure to different domains, different teams, different folks to learn from, um, and accelerate their growth. So after two years, they can be um, become a PM and be you know highly productive and, and sort of um, the long-term goal there is to basically you know bring those people in at the entry level and grow them to be the long-term leaders of Atlassian. Um, we might find they go and leave the company for a while and then come back at some point in the future. We don't want people to you know, expect folks to come here and like be here for 20 years. Like That would mm-hmm. be great, but that's not realistic nowadays. Yep. But this idea of like helping see the industry, have people coming and going, but creating these long-term pro- um, PM leaders um, that have affinity with our business and our values is, is certainly part of the focus. So that's sort of the, the entry point. Um, and we have intakes in the Bay Area and in Sydney. Um, 
also New York we're starting up next year. So that's sort of that's the APM channel. We then have um, obviously straight hiring. We do at PM level up to sort of all the way through. And hiring PMs is um, so entry level PMs is not too hard in most places. We accept you know we look at have they got those the foundations of those four pillars. Do they have a basic level? They don't need to have studied engineering and computer science necessarily, but they need to know enough around, you know, what is a programming language? Like if they've dabbled with code and with computers enough that they can, you know, understand the basics and the, found- the fundamentals, yep, yep. then that's, that's often enough. But if someone's got like no technical competency, competency whatsoever or interest in it, you know, we find that it's like we'd rather hire someone who has that versus not because it just doesn't, it's just, you know, not, it's, it's much harder for them to be successful. So, um, that's one thing for us, at least. And then, um, as we look to the senior levels, the senior levels are hard for us because we're looking for folks who've got the experience. And in some markets, um, like like Australia or even even parts of the US, like in you know regional parts of the US, you may not have or, or Europe, you may not have the um, development path. It's a bit like trying to hire a top grade cricketer in the US or a or a top level you know, right. you know, player in Australia, you're just not going to find it because there isn't that sort of nurturing from a young level right the way through to sort of develop that talent. So well, that's what there... we have to usually, you know, grow it ourselves or bring it in from another country or region. Yeah, so I, that was my question. Um, is it really that basically Silicon Valley is the only place that's actually really built career paths up until now for product managers? Um or do you do you know of any other hotspots where that's really kind of happened? Look, I think there's certainly um, we're finding good talent out of out of Europe. Um, there's certainly a good amount of innovative tech startups that have and companies that have grown out of Germany and Sweden, Denmark, France, um, Italy, UK. That, that I think that that does create up to a certain level it creates a great amount of. Um, PM uh, talent, so that's certainly very viable. Mm. I think the, the difference in the US is that in the Bay Area, in particular, well, you know, suppose, suppose you know, looking outside the Bay Area, you've got um, Microsoft and, and Amazon as well up in Seattle. But you've got uh, these companies where they've made the decision or um, call to say, look, we look to we look to the PM um, ladder or, or is it organization to, to to sort of really tap into our future leaders for the companies. If you look at Google and LinkedIn and, and other places, um, the sort of the VPs and the SVPs um, are more increasingly their their ex product managers. So the idea of like a, a well rounded person who understands strategy, understands the customer, the product, um, who can think about new market and markets and product market fit at a macro and micro level, they they usually prof, you know prove to be very very impactful you know VPs and SVPs. Um, so I think that's where you start to see this idea that okay, yeah, the PM is the in that area is is a role that's uniquely um, important, um, and and growing them to that level is 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 really limited to um, into the US and the high tech markets there where they they groom them up to that level of you know sort of SVP reporting to the CEO that yeah, yeah helps. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's let's just dive into a couple of numbers here. Um, you said there was 120 PMs. There's what is there six, seven products in the Atlassian suite? Yeah, about seven. Yep. Yep, about seven. And so, is any one product like Jira more lopsided with product managers? Like, how do they distribute across all of that? Yeah. So we um, the the general rule is we use a you know fairly standard ratio. So you know seven to ten. Engineers um, to one PM. Yeah, that was my other question. <laughs> yeah, like that's. I mean, it does change. Like some teams we have a lot more than that. Like infrastructure teams, for example, we might have 
two PMs for a hundred engineers because the work is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just depends on the team. So, um, but generally across the company, we look. So if you have Jira, for example, might have X number of P- uh, engineers. We'll put the appropriate number of PMs on that on that team. Uh, a new a new product that we acquire might have only a small number of PMs because it's a small engineering team. Or new product that we incubate with one you know seven person engineering team. We'll throw one PM in there and we'll grow it from there. So. That's the general approach. So um, we have uh, one interesting comment about it might be that we have, because we have these seven products, we have an increasing um, sort of viewpoint belief system around the fact that there's there's a lot of commonalities between products now, um, a lot of duplication of effort around tooling and, and sort of components and with the sort of moving to a more micro sort of microservices architecture where we have you know, products broken up into these smaller pieces um, in that in that sort of worldview, you end up where there's a real opportunity to build out platforms. So even even just internal, not sort of marketplace platforms, but internal platforms. So we have, and this is where I, one of the areas I look after is um, internal platforms. So where we have um, things like uh, uh, tools to automate the sort of setup of Amazon um, clusters, right through to mm. uh, tooling for for logging and 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 observation of of user 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 sort of traffic and journeys through multiple microservices through to front-end experiences like a common design system, JavaScript, React frameworks, common rich text editors, media attachments, et cetera. Um, All that together um, sets us up to say, um, you know, the platforms make sense. And so we build out a big platform team now. That platform team has got, I think, in the order of uh, 25 PMs in just platform alone. Right, right. And then right. that, yeah. that, that service is the need of these seven products at scale, basically. Yep. So just how granular does that get for one PM? So like the smallest unit, say a PM who's on Jira, would they be Jira for mobile or would they be Jira for iOS or would they be just the, um, you know, just the sprint aspect of Jira? How, how small does somebody's responsibility go? Um, generally, the t- it depends on the group. Um, some folks will focus on a certain. Um, um, so I'm doing how much? I'm getting kicked out of my room here. Um, the uh, question. So yes. So the uh, it depends. So like mobile. Yes, there's a mobile um, PM team on Jira with PM engin- like engineers doing mobile specific things. Um, some teams like Confluence just changed a model where mobile is is spread around the teams. So they set up more. PM teams, engineering teams, um, which focus on a certain user journey. So one team focused on finding work. So we'll look up the search and navigation in one team, and that include maybe a couple of PMs, a couple of different engineering teams, um, and then includes a full stack engineering team, so mobile, desktop, and um, full stack backend, um, etc. So so they self-organize basically. Just yeah, they, they make a decision. There's no hard and fast rule on that. Yeah, we sort of there's some you know general like best practices but there's a lot of autonomy for teams to structure as they see fit to be most productive so that's 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 one of the nice things about um atlassian is a very lot of autonomy which is good so just a couple more numbers so um what percentage of time would the pm spend basically face to face with the with the engineering group and how much would it be sort of like either with customers or triaging customer requests yeah, good question. I think, uh, again, it depends on the team. So if you're in a team working on a new product, like we just launched a new product called Jira Ops, which is about um, sort of managing operational incidents. Um, so if, you, if you've been hacked by somebody or you've got an outage, yep. you can sort of manage that incident through this tool. 
Um, that's a new product. So those guys. Good tool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 exciting new area. Actually, pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I say twenty seven oh two or one or whatever. You know, you've got to actually have a specific way of responding formally to that. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's helpful. Um, yeah, so with that team, you know, this brand new, so they're in front of customers every day, but literally every day, between the customers to say, hey, just added this new feature. What do you think? Like, what what's what's missing? Like, we're still discovering mm. what, are the, what are the jobs to be done for people running incidents, and so we're trying to really stay close to customers in that regard. So there's a lot of face to face there, um, versus say a platform team. If you're in a platform team, you get a lot of your customer insights through the products. Um, who are on the front line, and so you'll sort of aggregate feedback from products and use that to drive your roadmap. You'll also do some direct um, customer engagement as well if you have a, a user-facing feature, but um, but it just depends on the team how how then how sort of how frequently they're in front of the, the customers. But we definitely encourage all the PMs to be you know seeing customers and looking at customer feedback on a very regular basis. So we see that as a really important important part of the job. And no matter what role you're in, you want to be very close to that. Right. Last last question, just around this structure. Is there also a scrum master or something like that that's actually just looking after the the sprints and stuff like that, or is that the PM's job? Um, in in Atlassian, the scrum master is typically the engineering lead. Yep. Okay. So engineering lead takes on that role. Um, the PM is you know is is involved in the meetings, but certainly PM is more focused on spending time with the customer, thinking about the strategy, looking at differentiation, and then and helping you know helping inform. And drive the roadmap, um, and and also trying to work to involve the engineers in that process as much as possible, yep. so that they, they have you know good understanding, good buy-in, they can make decisions more autonomously with success. Uh, and so yeah, so the engineering we, it runs pretty lean. Like there's like the PM, the designer, and the engineering lead. They run as a triad. Yep. So and they sort of lead a lot of the decisions together, and then the engineer executes the plan um, fairly autonomously with the engineers. Yep, got it. So yep. let's contrast that with Nitro. So Nitro is a very small, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say very small, it's a much smaller company. Um, yep. How many engineers did that, does Nitro have when you were there? Uh, when I was there, and it's probably grown a lot since then, but when I was there, I think we had probably uh, 50 engineers, maybe maybe 70 engineers, I think. And so did that sort of shake out that you had seven PMs as well too, or? Yeah, roughly around seven PMs, yep. Right, and just using yeah. that ratio, yep. Yeah, pretty similar. And did, uh, did the behaviours kind of look the same? Like, are you seeing kind of like best practice patterns that translate both from an earlier stage company and a, a large company like Atlassian? Yeah, I think a lot, yeah, a lot of the fundamental principles are exactly the same. Where it gets different is around planning, I think, um, and dependency management. So, um, whereas at Nitro, you could, um, you could, you know, fairly, uh, across the 70 people, you could sort of formulate decisions and plans and roadmaps fairly quickly across the 7 PMs and keep alignment very, very easily in check. Um, whereas at Atlassian or at Google, you've got much, much bigger teams. And so, and you've also got multiple parallel leadership structures. So, last, you know, you've got multiple products, and each product has got a set of needs. Yep. Um, you've got the products trying to align with each other around marketing moments, maybe where they're trying to tell a similar story and work together. Where maybe, uh, in addition to some lightweight integration, they're also trying to line up with platform, and the platform is delivering certain functionality on behalf of the products, and and that needs to be synchronized from a timing point of view. Um, and so the complexity around that management of like multiple teams working on one one initiative and one set of uh, aligned 
um, goals, that, that's where the larger organization, that's, that's where the layer of additional leadership skills, communication skills, yeah, yeah. just, you know, understanding how to navigate that is, is really super helpful. So, so yeah. And definitely that kind of like what you're talking about, like cross cross product platform type group is probably much more pronounced in a company as large as Atlassian. Yeah, it's a larger, larger endeavor, larger team. Um, but but I think you know, it doesn't. What's nice is that a lot of those straight PM um, rituals and and sort of craft and thinking about all the basics around thinking about customers and validating ideas and all those things um, are still very true, right? So I think it's. Um, that's one of the nice things. So if you sort of go from a smaller company and want to have new challenges, like a larger company can be useful for that. Um, and so yeah, something I've sort of found that to me, my sort of not to get too about me, but like I think that journey from doing my own startups up to a certain point and then sort of wanting to like um, look what's next for me, what's the next area of growth and like the idea of being in a place where I can have more leverage with my, my sort of knowledge as well as new, ch- new challenges around that complexity. Like it's really interesting um, challenges like yeah, that's, let's let's very sort of engage. You know, let's dig into that a little bit. So start so since Doc usually starts off with the, the the founders being the product managers as well too. Tell us a little bit about you know did you end up bringing a PM in then or did you get acquired before that? Did you feel as though you hit product market fit? You know, when's the sensible time to sort of transition from founder as PM to a dedicated PM? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, SenseDoc was a pretty small endeavor, so it's maybe not the best example. But yeah, we had um, yeah myself as the full like as the CEO and the PM. Yep, uh, <laughs> not four, uncommon. Yeah, and like four engineers, and, and it was really it was sort of a, partly a pet project, partly an exploration, partly a passion area for me, which was um, the idea of like how do you build um, more organizational knowledge and sharing and collaboration by um, um, making content more uh, more accessible. So the basic, looking to the details, but basically I was frustrated with the fact that I was seeing people in my last startup building multiple PowerPoint slides and, and Google Slides decks, you know, <laughs> with the same content again and again and again. And most of the time, the one which was great and the rest were just always terrible. And like, why can't they use the best version of that particular slide? So when you're computing, you know, pitching customers, you have the best argument, the best sort of persuasive, you know, tool or asset in your in your arsenal. And so, uh, it's a great idea. Yeah, like it's a cool idea, right? Like everyone I speak to is like, yeah, it's a cool idea. Like I've faced that problem every day. I've seen it before, right? Anyone who's worked in consulting seen this. And I went and spoke to like Hilton Hotels, which I met through a contact, and they have this. We've got like two thousand salespeople, and they and they have this problem every day. And so I pitched them on this idea, like, yeah, where can we sign up? Like, okay, this is that's good validation. Started building a prototype. Spent like six months on it. Um, Super fun, you know, exercise to build. We got to a really good point. We had a plugin for. Microsoft PowerPoint, where you, as you're building slides in PowerPoint, it would dynamically um, show you slides with similar content. So you actually start writing a title of a slide and it would say, hey, someone's already made a slide just like that. And it's got the whole visual and you click on it and we just import it live into your deck. It was pretty amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So then, but then I was like, hit a point where I was like, um, okay, like I think this is cool, but it's really a feature of Google Sheets or Microsoft PowerPoint. It's not like a whole, there's not a whole company here behind mm. this thing, right? And I was like, so, and around the same time, a friend of mine, um, Sam Chandler, who was the CEO of Nitro, he was looking for someone to come in and help him sort of, you know, get, get you know, do some work on, like, let he lead the PM org. And so I was like, well, this product's got some cool, it's got some cool technology in it. It related to some of the stuff they were exploring as well. So I'm like, well, 
but when I come on board, you can aqua hire this thing. We can leverage some of the technology, and and I can help you do this thing. And it was sort of an interesting change, um, change you know, way to sort of look for you know how to help help Sam and and leverage what we built. So that was always sort of fun. And then um, and then uh, six months later, Google came along, and the Google offer was too 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 appealing in terms of this passion I had for sort of collaboration tools and this way of how do you help people work more effectively. It was always been a mm. thing I love thinking about, and we're working on Google Drive to help help that that team pivot towards the enterprise and help develop um, more of that sort of opportunity was, you know, a, one that I couldn't turn down. So that was, it was right. sort of the next step I went to. Okay, cool. So just a little while ago, you mentioned a magic uh, magic phrase that I really like, and um, and perhaps this is one of your pillar two tools of a, of a product manager. You said jobs to be done, so JWD. Is that uh, commonly a practice in Atlassian? Yeah, so it's, it's sometimes talked about as top tasks yeah. um, or jobs to be done. So, um, yeah, like all the teams here uh, have or are finalizing sort of up. I mean, it, it is a bit of a it's one you want to review on an ongoing basis, but for, for more developed products, they, they are pretty fixed journeys and jobs to be done. So um, all, the team, all the products here are expected to have those clearly defined. So then when you're working with that product as a partner or as a platform team or as a new PM landing in that team, you know very clearly, like these are the things which the the, the user is trying to do. Yep. And for products like you know Ajira, which is a very powerful and deep and rich product, um, there's a quite a lot you can do. So for that, that team, it's quite helpful to have those those um, those key jobs to be done because they can help them sort of think about how do they optimize, you know, some of the bigger decisions. Yep. Yeah. Well, yep. That, that, so that's kind of like a question. You know, if you look at the backlog of feature requests for Jira, for example, like how the hell do they kind of like make uh, you know prioritization decisions in that team for for road mapping? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, they have <clears throat> and they even have, and I'm not to sort of get too sidetracked, but the Jira, Jira even, ha- even has its own platform team as well as the main sort of Atlassian platform team. So there is there is Jira um, software, there's the Jira Core, there's Jira Service Desk, now Jira Ops. Yep. All those products sit on top of the Jira platform. So they actually organize um, and plan their roadmaps based on the combination of what does Jira software need to do. They've got a team and they're supported by the Jira platform team. So they will align their work together and get things done. Um, Same with other products. In terms of like where, what drives their input, they look at a number of things. The jack tickets are one input, but um, what you'll find is that often there's, there's jack tickets in there, which are... Sorry, what's um, a jack? Sorry, um, Jira, Jira.Alassian.com. Oh, yes, is, right, okay, yeah. What you're referring to is, is we call it Jack internally. Um, every, every request we look at, I think in the early days, um, and even now, that's still seen as an important um, uh, feedback loop from our customers. But as with any product decision, um, one has to take the product, the customer request, um, and sort of think about that in terms of the strategy of the product. And if we did every single feature the customers asked, then obviously we'd have you know, very bloated products and very messy products, right? And, and it would be unclear where the product's going, what it's trying to achieve. So it's got to be more and more. And as the products like Jira get more more tenure, you know, and have been around for longer, the curation of those things are even more critical, right? So yeah. there's a lot of work going on right now to simplify Jira. Like one of the top customer feedback points, which is not necessarily in Jack, but more in customer interviews we do, which, which is like, well, Jira's just too complicated. I don't get it. You know, it's too hard to understand. I call, I call it Atlassian University. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and it's, it's tricky, right? Because it's 
that depth and power is actually what's made us successful, and it's also built a whole ecosystem of specialists who mm. have their, their, we have people people come to us at, our, at our annual conference say, "Oh, thank you, you've helped me build a whole career around Jira. The like yeah. whole career has been Jira, and that's amazingly cool." But it's also sort of scary, right? Like in the world of modern apps on the web where anyone can get turn up and just start using the tool and it's super simple. You know, if you go against that too much, you're just you're blocking adoption for new users, making it hard for them, creating friction. You're also opening up opportunities for competitors to come in and steal your lunch as well. So there's an ongoing piece of work right now about, um, and we did a bunch of PR recently about this, which is to simplify Jira and make it yep. simply, simply powerful. So it's almost like an onion layer. The top onion layer is like easy to use. You can start to tap into the, the core features really quickly and easily. You don't have to go to you know complicated admin requests and all the rest of it. Um, but as you peel back the layers, you know you can do more and more powerful things as you start to um, want to do those and it reveals certain naturally and gracefully. Is, that's simply, the, is that simply powerful thing a product management invention or is it marketing sort of talking to PMs? It's a, P, it's, a PM, it's a PM initiative, yeah. Right. The, PM, the customers came up with the idea. And that's an internal that's an internal terminology. We don't talk about that in the market. That's just more, um, we, call, we call the initiative internally is called super powerful. But we, we talk about it in a number of ways with customers through the marketing channel. Yeah. Is that actually, does that kind of like, do you use OKRs or anything like that to sort of like formalize a message and an attitude and a set of um, goals for, for different teams? Yeah. So, um, yes, we definitely use OKRs and we use them at a team level right up through to a company level. So we have some company OKRs, which are the sort of critical, most, most important. Um, I think there's like, three objectives at the company level from memory and then we have um, maybe three to four KRs per objective. So maybe like 12 altogether uh, OKRs um, um, at a company level and then there's a bunch of internal ones. But the, the company ones are very helpful because they help align when you've got like seven teams that need to work on something to make it work like GDPR. Yeah. Yeah. It, it helps align those teams and get them motivated to work together with the same goal. Yeah, you can ask the question and say, well, here's the overall vision this is yeah. you know how does it map to that yeah. i'm going to let you get on i'm just going to ask you one or two more questions and then i'll get out of your hair so yeah. is do you actually have kind of like a you know a, a, an epic fail in regards to decisions around road mapping like something personally that you did that was like a complete bias or delusion around around something or anything you've kind of seen where you know the pm's got to have this kind of discipline about making the right uh, judgment calls on roadmap uh, look, I think it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> you haven't got one you want to share? <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I think it's a good one. Like, there's, there's definitely, there'd definitely be some of that. And the ones that come to mind, I'd say, would be, um, I would say, I'd say, like, SenseDoc is actually a good example. You know, like, it, it's one where... Um, you felt there was a product and then, then realised there was a feature. I, I lent into it. And I sort of, I don't need this going in, right? But I lent into it against my own good judgment, really. Yep. Like I knew it was, I knew it wasn't like a massive market, and the market size is important to understand at the start. And I knew that um, it was going to be complicated when I was really just, you know, a, an add-on to a, another company's product. So I knew that was all like a factor, but I had so much passion for it, and so my passion definitely overruled my good sense to sort of pursue it. And and I created something, and I validated. Like there was there was customer validation, so I don't, I don't feel like it was a complete fool. Like it's definitely not a, as bad as going and building something without any validation. Like that's definitely 
a massive fail. And yeah, I, think, I mean, having Hilton tell you they wanted to use it and pay for it is, sounds fantastic. That's great. And, they, and they, pay, they were paying me like they were paying me for it. You know, it was actually a paying customer for one. I had two, two or three paying customers. So it's like, and, and that's one of the really, that's one of the really hardest things about product market fit is actually it's a sliding scale, right? Like it's super hard to know. The classic quote is like, you know, you've got product market fit when customers are throwing cash at you and asking you when can they have it, when can they have it, right? That's sort of the test. And I had folks paying me, so it's like, okay, I'm sort of partway there, but I also knew it was like, there was a lot of like operational challenges to get it installed and you know, make it work. And it's like, just there's a bit of, bit of complexity there, but you know, it's, 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 it's not a, the pain level. is really hard to judge sometimes. So that was sort of a tricky one. Other one I think of when I think about this was, um, um, I just had it, I just forgot. It was another example I was thinking of, which is where, like, so we had, we first came, you know, we talked before about coming to the US. We both came to the US around the same time. I came to the US, we set up um, a mobile company here, and we had a first product we launched, um, and we had a couple of customers. It was based around SMS. It was like we had two products, an SMS product and a mobile app product. Mm -hmm. The SMS product, which is a bit sort of older school, but we thought the US market was a bit behind at the time. We thought, um, oh, we'll try this SMS product and see if that was the one we want to sort of beachhead the market with. And we came in and we like we 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 closed I think like four or five customers within like two or three months um, in a first sort of recce to the US. And we went, okay, great, we've got we've got product market fit, we've got validation, we've got paying customers out of it, like perfect, right? Came land in the company, country, like raised a bunch of VC funding from Australia, landed, and then we couldn't find any more customers for that product. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so it was like you did everything right, but it, we actually we had a false positive. Like we had a we had like a initial lucky positive landing on a few customers, but then like beyond that set we landed on, there was like almost none. And we're like, holy shit, this is a bit of a fail. So wow. yep. again, it's like I don't think we. I think I still take that as a learning. It's like okay, make sure you get a broad enough sample, not just like a one or two. Yeah, yeah. There was something self-selecting about that first group you went yeah. to. Yeah. So I think that's the, again to fail of like. I'd say I had a fa validation fails in some ways for both those where I didn't probably go broad enough and or let my passion be too strong. And I think earlier in my career, I'm sure the stuff I did back in my earlier startups where it was just like random decisions, you know, that you do. And, and I think sometimes there's a fine line. Like at some points, I do feel like a PM with strong intuition and good experience can make a judgment call about a feature better than market researchers are going to tell them or validation is going to tell them. Mm. And that's where I sort of go. That's the sort of that's the art versus the science. And yeah. I think we can't we can't we can't ignore that, right? Because you look at any success, look at many of the most successful products out there. They're not backed on you know first first party you know first you know primary research and validation that you would classically do. So I think there's really art, art there as well. Yeah, well, as you used that term earlier, like master of the PM craft, as uh, so you th you think there's still a little bit of magic in there by the sounds of it. You've got the yeah. oh yeah, definitely. I mean, folks, folks who you know, not to disparage anything, like there's definitely some roles, with, like search, for example. You definitely want to be data driven for search, right? But yep. but you know, even then, there's, there's, you might want to have new ideas and then go validate them, which are not driven by just the data. But if all your robots based on data only, you're missing out on opportunities, in my view. Great. This has been excellent. Thank you. So um, obviously we're catching up soon to do this yeah. fireside, but just is there any ask that you've got anything? You, I, I presume you're hiring? Is there, um... Yeah, definitely. We're always hiring awesome PMs. So um, whether, you, whether you've got, um, whether you're based in any country in the world, we have offices in lots of places. Um, um, we'd love to hear from you. We have open job roles on 
uh, our website. Um, but feel free to reach out to me um, directly. Uh, it's S Anderson with two S's um, at Atlassian.com. Feel free to ping me with any questions. Um, we're always looking for great talent. All right. Well, thanks for the email. That saves me on the next question. But uh, anywhere else they can follow you, or is that are you fairly um, quiet and fairly quiet? Not a big social media guy, and they should just contact you on email. Yeah, email's the best. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not super massive um, junkie. I'm on Twitter a little bit, and um, um, but but yeah, I think the best thing probably um, by email. That's where the best channel. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Cheers, David. Take care.